Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the second of our group podcasts, which is not called Idle Chat because we upset one of my friends by calling it Idle Chat, even though it was a different spelling and meaning of the word idle. Sorry about that, Johnny. We weren't trying to sit on scabby on sofas and get someone's life story. Anyhow, we're here back with the same band, Neil, Edward, two Chris's, and managed to discuss more bobbins because it sounds like you quite enjoyed the last round. First up, I want to start with a quotation for my partners in crime here. It is Toto Wolf, who was interviewed in The Times a few days ago, saying that he lives rent-free inside Christian Horner's head. It's a lovely phrase, but I think it's so true. And I think maybe the, the anatomy of that relationship defines modern Formula One at the moment. Discuss, open to the floor. Go on, Manish. Oh, uh, yeah. Isn't Formula One really funny? Um, it's not. <laughs> it's not Lewis Hamilton with a chisel against sort of you know Max Verstappen with his hammer, but it's Toto versus Christian. It is the tale of two managers, and it's just you know it just it sort of says everything. I, I think for me. The uh, the kind of critical moment in Abu Dhabi 21 was Toto's fantastic quote, oh, no, Michael, this is not right, okay? So <laughs> <Still> not right. <laughs> Whatever you think of that race, and, um, you know, uh, I think we're not allowed to say anyone's been robbed anymore and we've got to let it all go. And I, it must just, for the great big silver beast, that is just going to hurt forever. That's going to hurt forever. And if I was Toto, I would employ the top Hollywood writers, because it would be a fraction of the budget. Writers are cheap to come up with a phrase, and I think he has got it. It's just perfect. I live rent-free in your head. (laughs) (laughs) What what are going to be the penalties for free speech in 23? 
or will they all just stay shtum? I don't think they will. I think they will. I think they'll be speaking freely. They just can't help themselves. I think it's an interesting relationship those two have got. They're quite different. They're quite different. Um, this is Christian's life. And I don't think it's Toto's life. You can see Toto at some point being, you could be somewhere high up in Mercedes, not in, you know, he's he came from outside motorsport. He could go somewhere else. But this is Christian's life. It's all he's ever done. It's all he's ever known. And I think he's in it for the long term. And I think the more that Toto says, I'm living in Christian's head, Christian gets under his skin. I mean, the, that Abu Dhabi moment, the defining, there was an image in that race, right when this all unfolded, when Toto ripped off his headphones and sort of banged them and ran around. Either side of him in that shot, on one side was Ola Kalanius, chairman of the board of Daimler, and on the other side was um, Mr. Ineos, uh, Jim Ratcliffe. And both of them looked really, really calm, really, and I thought, Mikey Toto sort of reeled in a bit, but that's just, he really cares. I think he's got a very thin skin. He's very, very competitive and he's clearly very, very cross. And, you know, we could speculate as to how did Michael Massey eventually get the boot because he was compensated very, very heavily by the FI because it wasn't really anything they could find he'd done wrong. So I, I think it's a great other, other than be quite shit at his job. Well, what was his job? What was his job? Because he had like three jobs. I mean, there's a bit where he's saying to Christian, can you hang on a minute? Why was he saying hang Because he's clearly, he's literally sweeping the track. But so, allowed, I hate to say it, but for me, if, if, if someone who has that position, I mean, in our world, it's the clerk of the course. Whoever's running the race, the race director, allows themselves to be lobbied in real time. Over I mean, that was ridiculous. Is probably I mean, getting it wrong. Opening yourself up to being lobbied, by yeah. people that run racing teams isn't going to end well because, by definition, they're quite good at, what, at lobbying. I well, haven't realised. Sorry, oh. Matt, you go on. No, I was just going to say one thing. I think part of this has got to be the phenomenon, though, of um, w- what I call total entertainment. And I think the thing is there is a line between sport and entertainment. And I think total entertainment for me is miking up everything in real time. It's absolutely giving you at every single gap time difference you know when the drs comes on it it just becomes this thing um where you know you're being watched and listened to and potentially broadcast all the way through an event and there is there, there is a little bit of blowback from that and that is exactly that everyone becomes an entertainer yeah actually i don't know if 10 years ago someone might have ripped off their headphones in quite such a way but you you then see yourself on television and i'm sure some pr person goes gosh that looked really passionate love it can we have some more because yeah. the total well, and i'll interrupt you there manage as someone who has to unfortunately work in television um the one thing that we're all seduced by is that not only do they say that looked quite good they say that's you that's who you are now. And then you assume the role and the awful cycle of television uh, or any any sort of visual media is that all of us, and I'm pretty abject to this stuff, I don't really care about how I look, all of us are seduced we can tell. by someone saying, that's who you are now. You're the little brown one that can crash. You're the tall white one that can do somersaults. You're the, you, you love, we all want to be typecast. But the problem with this, I mean, the point is this is all fine, but I happen to love the sport. And that's where this actually, for me, just rankles a little bit because it's great seeing, I think, two massive competitors going at it, hammer and tongs, but a kind of real life, real time soap opera 
I, for me, it just takes away. What I should be feeling angry about is what's happening on track or happy. You know, that those cutaways to the pits, you know, it used to start quite subtly. And I do do this for a living. It used to start quite subtly. You used to see mechanics. People have really got some skin in the game doing this if their driver goes off or, you know, looking at each other if they've got a, a pit stop wrong. And I think there's a natural drama in that. I'm very worried about all this cutting to the pits and seeing, you know, a bunch of managers looking at a screen, kind of acting, you know, because I kind of spot it. It's also, did you see where Lewis hugged his dad in, um, yeah. in Abu Dhabi? Yeah. You've been into yeah. uh, a pit. He just had to go two yards further, then turn left. He'd have been behind some tires and he could have had a really private moment. But that just, it was in front of the cameras. You have this massive emotional moment. Do you think they're, do you think they're actively conscious of that, Manish? Do I don't know if you, I, th- this is the worry I've got about sport. It's not about being conscious. This is where it gets scary. It becomes yeah. very learned behavior. You know, I doubt anyone scripted it. You don't need to script yeah. it. If you create the conditions, you end up with what looks to me like a very bad soap opera. And it and it didn't do Formula One any favors, Abu Dhabi 21. Uh, Max no. is irritated by it now because he doesn't like people saying that was stolen. And Lewis is furious because he feels, you know, they took it away. I don't think anything good came of that. And this is my slight problem mm. with total entertainment. You have to be a bit careful. I have to say, I thought the article on Toto was great in the Times. I hadn't, I didn't know as much about him actually as as, as the article. And frankly, anyone called Toto sort of gets my gets my money. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be the world's best name, particularly Toto Wolf for God's sake. In the league of the fast names, you should be the fastest a, driver ever. It's the fastest racing driver I've ever heard. It's yeah. a top name. <laughs> And, you know, all I care about, really, because it's sort of like a Ferguson Wenger thing, this whole, you know, it's... it's. Mm. But I, I, the only thing I care about is Lewis winning eight, actually. I think, I think that's so important. He's probably, arguably, Britain's best ever sportsman. And, and we all need to support him to get, to get eight. I don't, really like, I don't really like people who don't like Lewis. I want want Lewis to win eight as well. But I have to say, the one thing they missed out in the times, if you're interviewing Toto, wouldn't you ask him who his favourite band was and then ask him to say the word Africa? You just would, wouldn't you? No one ever asked him that question. It's crucial for me. Right, we've had a bit of Formula One. We're going to come back to Formula One because we might be talking about a subject that incorporates that later on. Um, Another one for you, okay? Jaguar. So, arguably, one of the best brands on the planet one of the most recognizable symbols and is currently i'd say in a bigger state of disarray than any other car brand on the planet i have to say one thing here and this is with my very old autocar hat on i'm never as a journalist going to offer advice as to how to fix a car company i can't run my own limited diary let alone a car company so i'm not here to tell jaguar how to fix themselves but i do want to discuss with my learned brethren here why is it such a shit show uh, it's been a shit show for a long time. And I think for as long as I can remember, it's just not been clear who they thought they were, what they were trying to be. The advertising, you go back a few years ago, they had Tom Hiddleston and Mark Strong and Ben Kinsley. It's good to be bad because some of them have been in America. And you think, who's doing this stuff? And the next day, it's something completely unrelated. There's just no strand. There's no story. There's no narrative of what we're trying to be. And you look at the numbers, 
which I looked at earlier on this morning, in 21, they sold about 100,000 cars worldwide. Land Rover sold 370,000. Porsche sold 300,000. BMW sold 2.5 million. I mean, it's it's dead. And it's, it's amazing they sold 100,000. I mean, it's, it's at the bottom of it, they... They've lost their way. They, they, I don't think forever they've known what to be. Until very recently, before they did those big sort of steel and glass joint showrooms where you can walk into the showroom and everyone turns left, left to go to the right to go to the Landover bit. Mm. No one goes left into the Jaguar bit. Why would you do that? What's in there? Um, I've always, always, stop there. I've always thought they were missing a trick there. You know when you go to a particularly scuzzy regional airport in the UK and you have to walk through the duty-free to get to yeah. the bit where you buy your food, you almost get drag through this retail journey we have that's what they should do with jaguar you can't no. get to the range rovers till you've walked past the jaguar bit then yeah. at least you'd see some jaguars it is it's yeah. it's uh, and i think part of it is and we see this when we hear people like ian callum and others talking about their and julian thompson their design journeys in in the company mm. for so long and we were, we were part of the problem we said how they're going to replace the e-type how they're going to replace the xj and they seem to be more than any other company in this space, get fixated on how we're going to replace that. And no one else is, I mean, other companies, VW has the Golf, Porsche has the car we all love, but they've not got bogged down with how they're going to replace it. They think about what's it going to become? What are we going to become? That's true. And Jaguar doesn't ever So is Jaguar a victim of the fact that it never got over the E-Type? I don't think it ever got over getting over the E-Type. No. So, and I think, it, you know, what are we trying to become? What are we trying to be? And now you know, the history is not kind to very, very engineering intensive businesses owned by businesses aren't in that. So the classic one for us is British Aerospace when they used to own Rover. Most people probably don't even know that happened. Most people listening to this might even know that there's a thing called Rover. But when Rover was bought by British Aerospace, I mean, my, with my day job and my consulting out, we were working at, British Aerospace at the time, just after. And lots of talk about synergies and, you know, aeronautics and automotive. Behind the scenes, we're completely bemused why we've got this company, what we're going to do with this. So uh, Tata is the wrong parent. They must be watching to get out of it. Who would buy them and think that's the brand we want to protect? I can't see it. I'm really worried. Yeah, I, 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 saw, I sort of agree that the, the emotional side of me wants them to find a way forward. But increasingly, looking at the way the market is, I don't see how how it would fit in. It would take what's it for? What do you buy? I'll put I'll put something to you guys now. So you so I so I turn Jaguar around somehow in the next three years, and I, and I produce a vehicle that's really really beautiful, and it's a hundred thousand pound offering. It's got five seats, uh, and it does it's got all the performance and dynamically and objectively, it's as good as the best of the German. Are you going to buy it? I'm not sure you are. I think I think it's too big a leap. I think that everything else is so good. You'd have to want to make a real statement about yourself yeah. to buy that car now. I think it's too far gone now. I mean, this is this is British Ferrari, right? Seven times Le Mans winner. Geniuses started the company. I always get confused between William Lyons, William Sayer, and those three at the beginning. Um but it's it's it was it was amazing, you know, E type but yeah. D type, C type, XK120, the XK engine, probably the best engine that's ever been built in the UK. Beautiful. 
you know, and then you've got Bentley's success. You read every time you'd sort of, well, I know we're coming to reading Autocar on the Bog, but when you're reading Autocar on the Bog, the best ever results from Bentley, the best ever results from Jaguar, someone's really missed a big time trick, haven't they? Because it's a, it's a one, it was a wonderful brand. Unfortunately, I don't think it is anymore. Let me do, and I, also, you just up. don't need all of these manufacturers producing the same cars. You know, I've got yeah. so many friends with immense knowledge, immense passion. There's some incredible people looking after the old E-types, and there's there's such a lot of passion for the brand. But I think now it's it's very very difficult to see what you do, particularly with the end of you know ICE going and electrification, and who's going to bother? Sadly. I'm going to share with you a story about Jaguar quickly, just to tell you when I realized I thought it was in trouble. I think it was 2015 or 14 when they launched uh, the XKE, is it? the Well, the XEP, yeah. sorry. Mm. Uh, this is not meant to be cruel, but it was it was one of the more bizarre things of my life. So you might remember, they hired some, or they made some massive stage on the south bank of the Thames. Yes. Oh, yes. And they, and they had an XE float down the river on a barge, lit up by helicopters and God knows what else. And, and and it was quite clear that this that this would look like a bar of soap. This car it was it was it was it was pretty much um, it was just a three box saloon that didn't look very different. So the, so the jazz batons that came around it didn't really work. We were all sat inside when the car arrived. It arrived late, which is always good when you've got twenty thousand people waiting to see the thing. Anyhow, what what happened after that was a metaphor for everything that was going wrong with the company. And I don't mean this to be cruel, but they set to launch the car. They decided to create a musical of the life of Ian Cullum. That's what they did. So we sat there as we went through the life of the bloke that designed it. Now, it was it was either the greatest piece of inadvertent narcissism I've ever seen in my life, or, and I, I hope, I pray that Ian was sitting in the corner, chewing his nails off, hoping the world was going to follow him up. But it, you just thought to yourself, boys, you, you've lost the plot here. No one, no one gives a shit that Ian Callum used to scrum for apples or whatever it was when he was a little scrope. No one cares because because the car looks a bit bland and it's going to get destroyed by the three series. That's what we're all thinking. Anyhow, I, I'm, uh, that's not meant to be anti-Ian. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of what he's done, but I I just thought whoever sat down in that management meeting and thought this is the way we launched this car, it had just confirmed why they were obsolete. You know, the, did you read the for, did you read the Forbes article, Chris? Because that was the the article that I. I mugged up on, and but, you know, to paraphrase, they sort of said, "You've got this vaguely healthy limb, doctor, so you can leave it alone." And that's the the Land Rover side. Mm -hmm. And they, the, the the bottom line is, they said, with the other thing, what is the point? And um, they weren't really taken in by the well, we're going to make a Bentley Beater, and we're going to do it in three years' time, and that's the price point that we're going for. And its most charitable conclusion was the best thing that can happen to Jaguar is if a company like a Geely see some kind of um, some kind of brand value in this, can inject their massive battery technology and all the rest of it into it, and that will just resuscitate it. But what they were talking about was a badge, not a brand. Yeah, it's like, it'd be like it's MG. Yeah. It's, well, always been, it's always been passed around. Jaguar, sadly, you know, for 30 years, has been passed around as someone else's problem. And I do think, to come back to Formula One, when Jaguar was in Formula One, discuss how, yeah. how many extra F-types did they sell because they were, they were in, in F1, whatever it was, and it would have been an S-type, sorry, an S for sugar type, wouldn't it? So 
But I do remember that wonderful, it was a direct quotation when apparently Bill Ford was looking through, wasn't he, the, the expenses for that year. And one of the one of the cheap, one of the most expensive single items Ford Motor Company spent that year was on Eddie Irvine's salary. And he yeah. had to go, who's this? And they said, that's our Formula One driver. And yeah, he basically had to say, we're in Formula One? Yeah. <laughs> Geely, Geely seems to be the uh, saviour of everyone or the, the, the hopeful saviour of everyone at the moment. Oh, Geely will buy Aston Martin. Of course they will. We know that's coming. We know that's coming. You think that's right. going to come? Oh, absolutely. Okay, I've got I, think, on I, think, I think it's being manoeuvred perfectly for Geely to swoop in, grab hold of it and move on with it. I think they're the only ones that can save it now, aren't they? Well, there was one, one the other post, um, the, the other postscript on the Forbes article was, and then the final thing that can happen if there isn't a Geely or somebody else who's going to come and rescue this. And by the way, that rescue has to be for very, very little money. Yeah. Um, has to be the great appeal to government. This is a great brand. These are a lot of employees. You need to bail us out. And the argument was now in the 21st century, lots of other things to bail out. Perhaps that's just not going to happen. That's never going to happen. There's too many nurses and teachers and exactly. Aston Martin factories in Wales. And yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and also, as the boss of Kia UK said yesterday, and it's quite rare for a concession boss to make the front page of the business papers, he said that he said affordable electric cars just aren't going to happen. No. And of course, if 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 this if Jaguar was making cars that were at five thousand pound price point, then maybe it could be it could be salvageable by government. But you can't you can't have government rescuing companies yeah. that make things for very rich people. It's just not the way it works. Not going to happen. The irony no. is, didn't they have the first electric four by four almost in the world? Didn't they? With the yeah, the I pace was it was a high pace. It was a hot thought, well, you know, it's not my scene, but at least they've been first for something that's yeah. going to sound like hotcakes. And then it all sort of dwindled away. I don't really know what happened. Well, then that leads us back to the Giles Corrin article, doesn't it, from the other week? That was, uh, that's probably killed the eye face forever. Right, we're going to move on. We're going to move on. Um, car magazines. That's where it all started for me. I suspect it for you guys as well. Well, let me just have you. Yeah. And the, oh, there we go. Oh, the enemy. Doing me. Um, so, um, <laughs> the question is, the question is. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you still buy them? And this is a loaded question. Where do you read them? Neil Clifford. Well, I do buy them. I buy. I, it's a fear of missing out for me, to be honest, because I just have to keep topping up my sort of data bank of knowledge from the fear of someone knowing more than me about anything. So that's why I buy them. And 
I buy Evo, of course, through loyalty. I buy a classic and sports car, Octane, Autocar, obviously, every now and again when I'm at WH Smith's. All the posh quarterlies, whether it be Magneto and Triple Zero and Road Rat and all that. And they basically end up in the bog. With it, with, and, and, you know, what? frankly, what better place is there to read a car magazine than... than <laughs> Before Mr. Cooper said anything, can I just tell you now, and he knows, he knows me quite well, I find it quite terrifying that anyone, as a, from the position of someone who writes for car magazines, would ever use them as a source of factual knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's when you're when you're in those debates, whether it be, you know, obviously now podcasts, but when you're with you you're you're, you're you're with your mates at Bista on a Sunday morning or Goodwood or you know, you're in the pub or You've got to make sure you know as much, at least as much as everyone else, if not more, or there's no point in having the hobby, the addiction. Pure sponge value. I love that. It is. And it's as much the classifieds. It's back to top mark. It's as as much the classifieds as reading, you know, the nine-page story about a Renault Turbo 2 or something. It's as much the classifieds. Do you buy them, Chris? Sadly, not anymore. I stopped buying them a long time ago because when you're spending your whole life making that material, you don't really want to use it in your spare time or engage with it. And also, I quickly realized I wasn't that interested in the opinions of my peers. I just had my own opinions, and therefore, that's the way I did it. When I was younger, I bought Evo, Autocar, Performance Car. I've still got in a shed probably 10,000 magazines. Um, I've thrown some away, but I can't bring myself to throw away the stuff that mattered to me. And um, I, I do, I love them. I suppose the one thing about the this movement from coffee table to throne room is very important for me. And I got myself in trouble as a young reporter at uh, Haymarket, working for car magazine, sitting with some of the brass. And they asked me what the perfect length for a feature was. And it was, and they specified it, the denomination was in words. And I said, what you need to do is go to the BMA and find out what the average length of a male poo session is. And when you've got that, Work out how fast people read, and that's your answer. And I think I was asked to leave the room from memory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but I but I maintain I maintain it needs to be a good honest turd length, and then you've got a good read. <laughs> yeah. That's and, why. And I, that's what. Yeah, and I worried Neil. I don't want to go into the detail and performance of your uh, excretive processes, but yep. I, I'm pretty healthy, <laughs> stool wise, and I, you know, they do sit in the throne room, but. You can't really get a good read, otherwise. <laughs> oh, I can. I can. I can get. Yeah, through. no, I we don't want to hear about that. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, I, I so, I, but I, I think there's something. My, my life changed massively when I when I went from writing to doing videos, and there's lots about the video world that I've enjoyed, but I really miss the noble art of crafting mm, yes. a story, the pictures. A, a great still image is still more powerful than any video image for me. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's maybe because of our generation. We would wait for the magazine yeah. to come out. I'd walk, I live very close to my old school now, and I'd leave the school. I'd, I was a boarder. I'd break out of the school. I'd go to the newsagent on whatever it was the day of the month, the 15th of the month, whenever it was, when Car Magazine would come out. And if it wasn't there, I would be. It's mortified. desolation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, no, I think the physical, because it all arrives on the post now, but when, you know, this one and, and other magazines are available. But when this one arrives, you think you kind of wait for it. Hang on, it should be, yeah, it's tomorrow. And it's yeah. you see that little white on 
and there's you know another one. And it's just brilliant. It's just the highlight. I think, Neil, I think Neil's having a senior moment here. He's just gone off to. No, no, no. I'm no, just got to find he's got to find something. I thought he'd wipe himself down. For me, it all. Oh, oh, there we go. Top <laughs> drums. Are those originals? Are those yes. originals? Yes, off eBay. How much do you give for those? I bet you gave 100 quid for those. <laughs> no, like a tenner, look. Oh. It, Who's that? It all, it all, it all. That's, that's Instagram from the 70s. It is. Yeah. It is, yeah. And it then is. It, I remember it in there, I can, this may be aging more than others, there was something called a Monteverdi High. Remember yeah, 450 horsepower. It was yeah, the V8. I'm, I'm, I'm amongst friends. Saloon. Beautiful. I'm amongst friends. Oh, I love that friends. car. And love in that, that pack, there was also the Ferrari pin-in, and the most powerful and fastest car was the 512 BBI. You couldn't be, a 512 BBI had anyone else lit. 330 kilometres an hour. That's what it yeah. said. I mean, look I at that. Day. that. That, that About seventeen thousand five hundred pounds. Oh, oh, look at that! Oh. A, a plexi spider. Oh, yeah. But you know, it all it all started for me there, and then it moved to Car Magazine, and you know, LJK and Bulgin, and then yeah. I discovered Dennis Jenkinson. I mean, go on, mo- motor. What's it called? Uh, motorsport. Just to go back to that iCart, I know you don't pay for it. Go online and go in the archive and just put Dennis Jenkinson in their archive. There's hundreds of articles that, yeah. I mean, it's fantastic. So we, I think we have to try, even though we're sort of analog in a digital world, we have to try and support the car magazines. Can I just say that I, um, I just went, I did an interview for Lucky, this, this Bernie doc with Motorsport. Uh, I mean, it was just lovely going. They're not too far away from where I live. I mean, it's literally a 15-minute walk. And you go down into that basement, and they have all the motorsports there. And I, it, it was exactly that. It was just one of those moments. And I've grown up on sort of, you know, Robart, Jenkinson, all of these guys. Amazing. And it was just, just finding not just the old articles online, when you actually see the magazines. And the green has barely changed in... 40 years, because I, yeah. I used to steal my friend Max's dad's motorbike steel. I used to used to borrow them. They used to keep them by the fireplace at their house. And when Uncle Francis had finished with them, he didn't really mind what we did. And, oh, I used to love reading that and think to myself, you know, one day when I'm a grown man, I will have a subscription to this. Because as a teenager, it was just... just I mean, one, thing, one thing's for sure. My Octane subscription, my wife will... When I die... That magazine will continue to be delivered for years because she will have no clue how to cancel that subscription. <laughs> <laughs> Probably got five or six in parallel. And I remember Motorsport it used to be in the school library in the sixth form. And it's in the front page or the back page, there'd be an advert every month from Catering Cars, advertising Catering Sevens. God, I just used to, that's what gave yeah. me the look. I mean, just seeing those, thinking, God, you could have one of those. Look at that. It's brilliant. Chris, well, you've you got the likes of the Road Rat and Magneto, which are beautifully produced um, magazines now. But the, the the days of Autocar, et cetera, where they're trying to report on weekly, monthly news, it's very hard to stay relevant, isn't it? Well, most of their revenue is coming from their websites, isn't it? And the magazine carries on because as much as anything, it's probably much of a trade rag, isn't it? If you if you put it to every supplier for the motor industry in the in the Midlands, then you're probably still going to do five six thousand copies by getting it round there. 
Um, but I think some of them really do. Um, they they you know, they carry on against incredible headwinds. I feel mm-hmm. they felt they felt it felt like a very tight marginal business when I was doing it twenty years ago. What it must be like now, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Let me loop one thing back though to something that you guys said about Formula One and particularly Manish, um, the soap opera of sport. One of the things I used to love was that if you wanted to consider yourself one of the connoisseurs of a sport, particular Formula One, and you wanted to know more, you had to go and seek out and find information. And that's where the Robux of this world came into it for me. So I'd watch the sport, I'd draw my own conclusions about what I'd seen, then I'd read a Robux. Yeah. If I wanted to know more about the tennis, I'd read all the sports. I'd go out and find information. I didn't, I didn't expect it to be delivered to my, onto my lap. And that's why the Robux stories, and if you wanted any sort of prattle, if you wanted some gossip, Robux was the progenitor of, of you know, the Netflix series. It was gossip, yeah. wasn't it? But writ- written with considerable film. Yeah, and Joe Sable's doing that now. He's yeah. kind of, and I've got almost a broader base. I completely agree, yeah. Now, uh, we're going to move on because there's a thorny issue that affects all of us in the UK that drive motorcars. There's a man here who's hobbling up and down because he's angry. And we're going we're gonna to present him with a soapbox in which he can stand and shout about the general state of motorway service stations in the UK. I'm putting the box under your feet. Again, Mr. Neil Clifford, go. Oh, look, I think it's a total national disgrace. There should be a public inquiry <coughs> on how disgusting those places are. Everyone tells me there's, oh, this is an this amazing one near Stroud, or there's, in fact, two of them, wherever the other one is, bloody Tenby or somewhere. Tenby. Okay, why aren't they all great? They're all bloody awful. They're expensive. The petrol's a rip-off. Disgustingly priced. Bad coffee. Shit food. Dirty bogs. They've, they're designed awfully. The fact you you can't have a pee and fill your tank up because there's two same time. buildings <laughs> completely <laughs> in different places. And in fact, if you want a pee and a coffee and fill your tank up, you've got to go to three places because then you've got to drive to bloody Starbucks for a shit cold coffee. <laughs> Sorry, you go to Starbucks for a shit? <laughs> but this is terrible. And it's a monopoly. If, if there was competition, they'd all be bust. Well, the, be, so, so be CEO of the British Petrol um, Motorway Service Trade Association. Yeah, because it's, it would be so much better. <laughs> I just I know invented reference France and Italy. I've never, frankly, been to a German one, but it's terrible. Everything's terrible. Why can't well, you need to get, get yourself get yourself to Gloucester and to Tebay because they are very good. They've got I a know, butchers why, there. Why isn't there a feed good your one children the- for a pound? Why isn't there a good one on the M1? Why isn't there a good one on the M6? You know why? why? A good one on the M4. Why isn't there any on the M2? You know why? No, you're going to tell us. Come on, man with big forehead, tell us. So I think the the obvious difference between, um, Edward, you've done the same thing, is it can, there's one up at the top of the M6, A74. There's one in Cumbria, T-Bay. You're not asking the question. Tell us why. Tell us why. I want to know why. Because those three are run by the people who own it. Yeah, and the others uh, are all the others are basically property companies who let out their space. 
And the bits that people go to, I had this conversation with a number of people. No, we're going to have this conversation. I said, what do you think about them? And I actually got... Oh, wait there, I must come to dinner party with you. You must be great conversation. You know it is. You know, you know where we are, Chris. You're welcome anytime. And so actually some people don't just, they want to have a piss, put some petrol in, have a rest and go. Those are the things, you know, stopping having a rest, you can't charge money for that. So it's the, all the things that get cut down and cut down, they don't make money. The business model, the charging model. So if you look at all the services on the M1, all the ones, Neil and I live quite close to each other. I'm moving closer now we've become such good friends. Yeah. But if you look at all the services near us, they're all awful. But it's as simple as the people who own the sites, they just rent out spaces and franchises to McDonald's. Yeah, they don't care. They don't care about okay, it. So, 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 so much, can I suggest the electric, revolution, the electric revolution is going to have an impact on this? Because whether we like it or not, some idiot politicians think we're all going to be driving electric cars soon. I'm not convinced. But they're going to have to try and build some infrastructure. And when you stop, even if you've got an 800 mega gigawatt charging facility, it's still going to take you 20 minutes to fill up. And that's yes. quick. So, so have you seen... Uh, Grid serve. Yeah. Grid serve. No. Grid serve is interesting. It's interesting for two reasons. Because the guy who run, I, I have met him. I met him professionally. The guy who runs Grid serve, his name is Harper, and his first name is Toddington. Is he it? Has, he has oh. a brother whose first name is Heston. No. No way. The father is a great fan of the British Motorway Network and service stations. Toddington, I've got that wrong because I know I'm seeing him shortly. Please wrong, tell me they've got a sister called Frankly. No. <laughs> anyway, it's my story. So GridServe is, amongst other things, they're the people setting up these electric vehicle hubs. They've taken over the ecotricity network across all the motors. But they've got two bespoke EV hubs. One is not great locations. One is near Norwich, just open. One is near Saffron Walden. But they are, they've got a solar field, so it's from sun to wheel, that's their strategy. And they've got 30 or 40 super fast chargers, all under canopies. Don't get that in a normal service station with EV chargers. And it's a destination. So they run most of the things there. So there's something to eat, something to buy. It actually works quite well. The capital involved is enormous because you kind of need to feel next to it to put all the solar panels to run the thing. But um, Toddington and his brother Heston, I think, are they've got something in there. So grid serve. So people who live out in the, in the East Country, they'll know what I'm talking about. But And I think there's one coming near Gatwick or somewhere down the A303. I'll have to check. Ten, ten years. Have they got sufficient parking for all the queue? Because obviously not all the um, charges are going to work. So you're going to have to sort of loop well, yourself do. around the I block. Say, I have to carry interest because I, I have well, I think you've got 40 char- I was going to say 10 years ago, I had to meet someone who was going to introduce me to Alain Prost eventually, if all went well. So I went out to Belgium to meet him. And he said, we are going to go to this, what we call a car cafe. I was like, what? Before people went off and had a lovely race through the woods, they would stop at these amazing places, fill their cars up, go and have a very nice lunch and then go and race for the afternoon. And we went in, roaring open fire. He bought the most incredible bottle of wine. We had moufrit. We spoke for an hour and a half, an hour and 40 minutes. And that was paradise if you like cars there was no sense of rush no sense of get there fill the thing up with petrol and buy some windscreen wiper fluid and get the hell out of here um it was just a completely different experience just a complete and that's that i mean that would be a beautiful thing wouldn't it 
Can I also can I can I add one thing that I think is is another another thing that exposes me as an utter sado, but really gets to me at the moment. Have you noticed that a lot of the shell forecourts are being turned into welcome breaks? So when you think the at least from this awful experience, I'm going to get a lovely tank of the best fuel. That 99 shell is the best fuel, and you get there, and the bastard's gone. It's still a shell on the sign on the motorway. When you get there, it's welcome breaks own 97, which is basically sanitizer, isn't it? It's, it's still shell. No, it is still a shell because there's only a limited number of refineries in the UK. Chris knows this. I know a little bit about almost everything. <laughs> and the petrol, I, about 20 years ago, we did a number of projects in petrol distribution and filing. It's really, really fascinating. I'm sorry, I haven't got time for me to tell what we've got right now. But there's a limited number of refineries, even getting fewer, that will do super unleaded. So I'm assuming the deal is that the owner of the service station, one on the M3 to come north, has gone to this. All the so why is it? Why did it used to be ninety nine and now it's ninety seven? No, it's still ninety nine. I'm sure it is. You were we'll always certain that you were right with me. Most of the time you were, but this, I'm not. This one you might not be. <laughs> right okay. between um, between now and next week, I'm going to go and check it. You can you can. And that's, and that's the kind of man you, you are. Break, where are we? Where are we on the clock? Well, how long will we be going for? Uh, we've we've got we, we've still got uh, another topic to cover, Chris. It might be a short one, depending on what. No, 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 no. As long as we've got plenty of time, because I want to pose uh, one more here, and that is, we're going to have random themes that run through these podcasts, uh, and one of them will be, "What would you buy for?" Uh, I gave these uh, four reprobates not much notice, uh, and I said, "What would you buy for twenty five thousand pounds?" And it has to be a used car. So we're going to start with Manish. I always wanted to be a fighter pilot. And uh, the plane that I most wanted to fly, to be honest, was a Lightning. Because, you know, single seater, nobody in the back, no political conversations. You are your own platform and you basically are, are built to knock out Russian whatever's coming over. The fact that they only had two missiles and a sort of range of three minutes before they had to come back down and refuel was absolutely irrelevant. But, but is it is it to interrupt you again, is it the single greatest man-made object about oh, after Saturn V? I mean I'd yeah, 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 I'd go with that. Go with that. But I certainly probably one of the most visceral fighters, <laughs> you know, in the RAF. Anyway, the point is I'd have to get there and I'd have to get back from my little um little officers quarters and i've always been slightly in love with late 60s mgb roadsters i always thought that was the car that would take me to my lightning it doesn't have to be too quick it just has to be rather yeah yeah so i found one in a magazine yesterday it's been completely completely revamped the whole thing is completely beautiful it's a 1968 mgb roadster twenty five thousand pounds and it has a heater and that's it it yeah, sounds like quite a lot for an MGP. It does sound like a lot. It's called cars.com. You get a better deal than that. No, no, no. <laughs> this car. thing, this thing is beautiful. It's kind of a sort of... Um, what colour? It's a kind of... It's just a little bit darker than powder blue. So it's oh, just... It's beautiful. Nice. A little bit black, completely redone interior, new roof. Everything's been completely rebuilt. Like I've always thought a, a motoring presenter that's far better known than me always used to trot out the fact that you're not a car enthusiast unless you love Alfa Romeos or have owned an Alfa Romeo, I think was his phrase. I've always thought of it. I've always reversed that using the MG. I always thought you couldn't consider yourself a proper motoring enthusiast if you wanted to sneer as an MGB, because I think there's some, there has to be some joy in every car for all of us. And if you see an MGB and think, oh, that's some old tosser, he doesn't know what he's talking about, 
I've always thought, no, you're not in my crew. That's true. Um, Chris Cooper, £25,000. Right. Um, it's spookily similar to managers, but for completely different reasons. So, um, my Chris, you know this. I, once or twice I have made uh, speeches in public about motor racing and other things like that. And uh, on each of those equations, I've completely forgotten to mention my wife. So um, everybody else, but not my wife, uh, in my moment of glory. So I thought about So my wife, Lynn, has a TR6. Mm. And if she didn't have a TR6, because I love her so much, I would go and buy a second-hand TR6 for £25,000. Oh. That's what i do if I had £25,000 and she didn't have a TR6. It's only going to tip the needle a little bit back in towards about, oh, I'm starting somewhere. That's what I do. <laughs> Yeah. Ed would love it. Now you do realise that you can buy cars for twenty five thousand pounds, don't you? I know. I know. I, I spoke to my finance broker. So if I put twenty five grand down on the Never Never, <laughs> <laughs> do you know? It's interesting. So the first cars I started trying to look at when you set us this, I I, I sort of knew it, but I hadn't quite realised it that. There isn't all the things I thought were 25 grand are now not 25 grand. They're all 45 or 55 or 65 grand. So um, I, I went on to a competitor's website and put in a price range just to see what interesting stuff came up. And I know too much about certain cars to know what not to buy. So an SL65, which is the second oh, iteration yeah. after the yeah. SL55, there was one of those for 24,750. I thought that was very good value. It's probably had a whack, but you know, who who cares? Right. Um, and then you know, I think our first ever podcast, Chris, we talked about the E46 M3, and I think anything mm -hmm. that's powered by that engine, so Z3 M coupe, maybe Z4 M coupe. Um, you know, there's plenty of those around that sort of 23 to 27 grand mark. I think I'd probably go for one of those. I have one of those brand new. You had um, a Z4, you had a Z4M and you put the M3 CSL wheels on it. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I oh, did. So I, 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 had, I had two nice. of them. The, the first one I had um, was a white car with AC Schnitzer wheels on it and, cre and uh, chrome rims around the edge. Oh. I think I trashed a few of those wheels. But then I had, a black, I had a black Z4M coupe manual, black, black leather, and I had CSL wheels on it. And I, I, I think I did 6,000 miles on it. And I, I won't say what my average speed was over that 6,000 miles, but it was a brilliant car. So Pretty one fun. of those, please. Right, here we go. This, this, by the way, this could take some time, people. This could take some time. Oh, all right, okay. I'll do, <laughs> I'll do two things. On top trumps, you could buy a Ferrari Daytona Spider and... A Lotus Elan and a 914 Porsche for 25 grand in 1998. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I would buy, and I'm very certain on this, and I'm only can be certain for 24 hours when it comes to buying anything for an amount of money, would be a yeah. Continental GT. I can't say um, I can't say any more, but I was recently exposed, let's say in, my, in another job, to exactly the vehicle Neil has been describing, and it was amazingly competent and also it was so well bolted together there yeah. wasn't a squeak in it it was 12 years old and it, it didn't make a squeak a horrendous thing amazing right here we go so mine is a bit is a, is a bit not left of field but whenever i i do the same thing as edward i go through this process i do it every night i'm a hybrid of, of neil as well 
But if someone asks me in an interview for the press, what's your favourite car? I always say, I'll tell you what my favourite car is now, but it'll change tomorrow. It changes in an hour's time. There are some that remain on the list, 3-litre RS, 74 car, F40. They're always there. But it changes the whole time. But I love hot hatches. I've got a real problem with not having a hot hatch. I've got loads of them. They're the, they're the cars I grew up on. I'm, I, I can drive them quite well. I can drive most things all right, but I think I can drive a hatch pretty well. And um, there's a hatchback out there that no one really seems to love, but it is one of the best ever made. It's the Renault Sport Megane, the 300 or the 280. It's, it's, it's the current shape of Megane. It's got a pretty basic interior, but goes like a scolded cat. And I saw one in Paris about six months ago in white with a French number plate on it. And I just thought, that's, I that's want it. one of those. You can keep yeah. all your M cars and your RSs. I could drive that like an absolute pillar. No one will pay me any attention at all. No one's ever going to... Who's going to nick that? No one's even going to pay it a second glance. And also, the dog will go in it. The interior has been made by a very, very lazy Frenchman who couldn't give a shit about screwing it together. He wanted to get home and get on the pastis. And frankly, I agree with him. And and I, for me, I, I've so nearly bought one recently. But now I hear myself talking. I'm going to buy one yeah. fucking tomorrow. So that's the current shape, is it? Yeah, it's I a magnificent car. I wouldn't let you anywhere near it. It's got lift-off oversteer. If you're mid-corner on a slip road onto a motorway and ESP's off and you think about lifting your right foot, it'll just rotate. It's an utter bastard. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. It's a perfect car. Right. Um, thank you very much for joining me again. Uh, we'll be around next week for the same with our no-name podcast, not wishing to upset anyone anymore. Uh, sorry, Johnny, if we did that. It really wasn't intentional. Uh, to Neil, Edward, the other Chris and Manish, thank you very much, and we'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.